Hello and welcome to the My Possible Self podcast, bringing you insightful and thought-provoking conversations with pioneers, influencers and leading experts in the various topics involving mental health and well-being. I'm your host Gabby and boy am I jazzed about introducing you to today's guest, Danny Wallace. Having grown up on the council estates of Preston in the northwest of England, Danny has survived the adversity of domestic violence, homelessness and single parenthood to become a leading voice in empowerment and reclaiming the life you deserve, no matter what circumstances you have been born into. Danny is head honcho of the I Am The Queen Bee movement and creator of the Fly Anyway Foundation, which helps others who have suffered at the hands of domestic abuse reach their potential, just like she did. Yes, we're releasing this on International Women's Day with a truly inspiring female guest. But to any of our male listeners, fear not, you are going to get a ton out of this conversation too. So let's proceed with the episode. Hello, Danny. Hello, my darling. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm so glad you found me. I'm made up to be here. <laughs> well, I'm loving all the colours. Thank you. There's all the colours going on. It's that I don't. I don't have a dull life, and I don't live my life in grey. <laughs> I want to start with letting you know, um, Danny, the title for this episode. We've decided to call it Conquering Hardship and Ad- Adversity with Danny Wallace. Oh. And this is probably one of the most relatable topics, I think, for a huge chunk of, of our listeners and our app users, because like so many of us struggle to make ends meet, pay the bills, um, keep a roof over our heads toxic relationships navigating coming out of that and what it does to somebody's mental health as you know Danny you really suffer absolutely I am here for all of that conversation thank goodness (laughs) absolutely absolutely so I don't usually go deep into our guest's backstory but Mm -hmm. in terms of with you it's such an inspirational tale that's so woven into what you do and how you help so many other people I want to break with tradition and literally dive into Danny Wallace this is your life yeah I mean I trade in my story don't I like the whole the whole premise of everything that I do is my story and to help other people share their stories so it makes total sense Mm. you were from the same neck of the woods in in the northwest of England you grew up in Preston on a council estate so tell us a bit about that what was that like So, yeah, I grew up on one of the council estates in Preston. I mean, where we were at the time wasn't particularly dangerous when we, you know, we talk about, you know, council estates and, um, you know, gang activity, ASBO activity in the UK, things like that. It wasn't so much that, but everybody, particularly in that community, was living on or below the bread line. Um, so poverty, poor money mindset and all of that. So money mindset wasn't even a term in the 80s and 90s when I was growing up. It was just we didn't have enough money. In fact, when the ice cream van used to come along and the music used to play, mm. uh, that used to signify that there was no ice cream left as opposed to all the oh. kids coming out to play to come and <laughs> Oh, no, there's no ice cream left in the ice cream van. Um, you know, so we just, we, you know, we didn't ask for things. We didn't want for much, but we didn't ask for things. Mm. 
but that wasn't maybe even necessarily a huge problem so to speak but mm -hmm. throughout the community there wasn't a, a huge drive in terms of aspirations the whole premise of most people's lives particularly women's lives was that you know you go school go college maybe go to university but not really an issue if you didn't mm. um get a job marry somebody have babies and then be a mom until until the end so kind of it the career wasn't really spoken about we didn't really talk about me having a career or no one as i grew up that i was surrounded with was a career person was that way inclined was entrepreneurial yeah um but the thing that that really stood out for me in those growing up years was relationships and the bar that was set for me as a child with regards to intimate partner relationships was pretty low mm. so very from a very very young age um me and my sister born very close together just a year apart were exposed to domestic abuse so my mum and dad were in a position where they had um struggled growing up and were essentially if we look back now traumatized or damaged and they gravitated towards each other from a very very young age they were just 15 when they first got together and right. um, my dad was a latchkey kid and he resorted to deal with his trauma to alcohol so he became an addict uh, a functional alcoholic for many many years um, and I didn't realize and only realized when I got a little bit older that he was dealing with what he had to deal with in the only way that he knew how there was no conversation around mental health. There was right. no conversation around, you know, talk therapy, anxiety. What does that look like? How do you cope with it? Um, and as such, he took a lot of that out on my mom mm. and my mom was this great you know sort of matriarch she was the house that everybody came around to if anyone had a wobbly tooth mom would come around to you know take this makes it sound quite macabre <laughs> taking people's teeth out but you know what i mean like they would she was the real the matriarch of our sort of community of our family um but like i said the the domestic abuse that we experienced as children wasn't just in the house it was our nanas and granddads it was yeah. our aunties our uncles it was our cousins it was friendship groups so with regards to intimate partner relationships the role models that we had growing up were really poor the misogyny the inherent misogyny in the way mm. that we grew up particularly on and around the poverty line was was really difficult to kind of get our heads around and actually informed a lot of the decisions that i made when i got older and so as i got older and i got boyfriends their relationships were skewed somewhat right. so and is that because like growing up that was the normal for you so you didn't sort of question it and be like well hang on a minute parents shouldn't be at each other's throats you know physically and verbally yeah. did you just kind of take it as is and think well this just is kind of how it is just accepted that life was drama like it always felt like I don't yeah. know if anyone's ever seen the, the, the real or the TikTok, like, am I the drama? That, that's what it felt like, that things were just dramatic. It, everything felt like a roller coaster. So to step out into the world and to step onto a roller coaster didn't feel outside of the realms of what I was able to cope with. And it was only in hindsight that actually that was a cyclical behavior, a generational behavior that I was sort of playing out. So that did inform a lot of the choices that I made around my intimate partner relationships as I grew older. So in the first instance, the first real serious relationship that I had, um, 
I went for somebody who was really passive. So I am somewhat of a hurricane in terms of, you know, a whirlwind in people's world. I am very driven. I did want more for myself. If I look back at when I was growing up and I was saying about people not being career minded or what have you, and I, I always wanted differently. I always wanted more. I found that I could sing at a very, very young age. And that uh, provided the extrovert in me a beautiful platform for external validation, which is what I really craved as a, as a child, as a personality type. And so I essentially at 16 ran away with a circus and started to sing all over the world in different ways, in different resorts, on cruise ships, for example. Um, and then when I came back to the UK, because that's not a proper job, that's what not normal people don't do that. I really resonate with this when you're going to get a proper job, because for me, <laughs> DJ and radio presenter. I mean, I had the exact same thing where I'd done I'd done the 2012 Olympics and had a drive time radio show to, that reached like 12 million people. And I came home absolutely buzzing. And my mum, who was in a bad mood, said, "So when are you gonna like stop all this and get a proper job?" <laughs> and it's ridiculous. And it's stu- it will be with me until you know I take it to the grave, kind of thing. Because it's so hurtful. It's hurtful. And I think that when you do something that's outside of the comfort zone of those around you, and I think that's one of the things that I had to learn later on, that I was never the black sheep of the family. I was the unicorn of the family. I wanted to see mm. something more for myself. And um, I was kind of like Belle in Beauty and the Beast, sort of frolicking <laughs> around the mountains, looking for more yeah. and not knowing what that more was. But having these talents, having this ability to talk, for example, having this ability to sing, to perform, to connect, to communicate. And didn't know what to do with it all because whether I liked it or not, in my late teens, early 20s, I was still in trauma from everything that was happening, particularly through my teenage years and my formative years where my relationships were concerned. And that led to a a real series of poor choices. I was riddled with anxiety. So for all the extroversion and the bravado, people would say to me, oh, Daddy, you're really confident, aren't you? And and yeah, I kind of was, but extroversion and confidence aren't the same thing. Yeah, Extroversion is just where you get your energy from. I wanted to be around people. I, that's where I wanted to, you know, fill my cup up. But actually, I couldn't spend any time on my own because I was too scared of the thoughts in my head. I was too scared of myself, I guess, and um, and being different and choosing differently for myself. I think that like when parents are going through it and you know they're arguing and and even worse even though from an outside perspective you're thinking you you know you're practically screaming what about the kids what about the kids like they're so in it the fact that they're at each other's throats while the little ones are upstairs listening to everything that's going on well yeah no shit Sherlock your kid's going to grow up with anxiety issues because it's like you're going to take that with you and be triggered and I say this with personal experience myself so yeah it's like a it's like a shitty Christmas present nobody wants Like, yeah. here, have all of our have all of our trauma and have all of our anxiety. If I look at that, particularly, he was experiencing anxiety and depression. He was dealing with trauma and he didn't know how to. And so he was taking it out on the world around him behind closed doors because he knew his behavior wasn't acceptable. And there's no excuse in his behavior. But he was dealing with it. He, he had no outlet. He didn't know how to deal with that. And that was the... That was what we watched. Like, how do we deal with anger? How do we communicate? Mum, for example, just 
stonewalled people. So when people didn't agree with the, you know, her particular situation, the barriers went down and you couldn't get through and it's impenetrable because she was dealing with her things. So as soon as I was able, I was 16 and fibbing about my age and off on a plane, <laughs> entertaining people in Mallorca somewhere. And I didn't really get that. And that's what I was doing. I was trying to get out. I was trying to run away. Um, but yeah, it wasn't a proper job. And people like us didn't go on to be performers, entertainers. And, and also, specifically in entertainment, oh, Gabby, you'll get this. The only way that you make it in inverted commas for, in entertainment, particularly in the early 2000s, 2010s, is if you go on some reality TV show mm -hmm. and you get a thumbs up from Simon or you get, you know, someone validates you from the A&R business. And that was never going to happen for me. I just wasn't that good. I mean, I was good, well, but I wasn't. We do have a story I want to circle back to where that did happen later, but we'll, we'll go back to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So did you believe what people were saying when you're going to get a proper job, this isn't a sustainable career, when you're going to settle down? Did you listen to those voices? Yeah, I think it's hard when you're young and you're seeking, like, seeking external validation you're not getting it from anywhere after a while that's like kind of chinese water torture for the soul mm. you're kind of questioning yourself i didn't have enough self-belief because i'd not been taught it because i believe it's an exercise that you've got to work out this belief in oneself it doesn't magically land in our lap it's not a lottery win we've got to work it out i hadn't done so yeah it's quite it was quite easy for me to sort of retreat nah you know what i'm gonna meet somebody there was like a husband shaped hole that i filled with the first nice passive kind guy who didn't really want that much from me he didn't really want that much from life in fact we bought a house and we had a baby and I'd got a proper job and was working in corporate I swapped a stage for a stage Gabby so I swapped singing for training and I started to work within corporate doing all sorts of um you know customer service training sales training all of that did you enjoy that as a as somebody that's been until this point working in entertainment and obviously music is a huge joy for you that is quite the opposite career path it was interesting because what I found was that I was really great at conveying information to people in a way that they understood. So what I found was that instead of the applause that I got, I got great results from the people that I was working with. And so really that binding of those two qualities that, you know, want to perform, that ability to perform, plus that sharing of information and communication and creating community actually formed a lot of what I formed in my business today so all of that was really good stomping ground and, and a place to cut my teeth for everything that I created did I enjoy it after a while no was I bound by the constricts of the, like being constricted by working for corporate absolutely um very very quickly after we bought the house had the baby the husband shaped hole was actually never filled we sent out the invites to the wedding and he woke up one morning and just said Danny I don't want any of this and he left so that was the first time that I really had the rug. Do you think out. he felt that you wanted to go for somebody that was like the opposite of the, the the family that would bring you the opposite environment of the the family situation you grew up in? You know, somebody that was calm and I, I don't think I he was clever enough to work. Okay, I don't think he, he. I don't think he was. I think it was just it was a really easy ride for him because I provided everything. I was very self-sufficient by that point. I traveled around the world on my own. I knew what I wanted out of life. And 
he cared, you know, he cared, he was nice, he, but he didn't have any aspirations. I was very much the wind in that partnership sail and he didn't want the things that I wanted. And I would have gone along as long as he was kind and he wasn't cheating on me and all of this sort of stuff. For me, that was, there was no roller coaster. So I was, I would never describe myself as I was not really happy, but I, it was calm and calm was not dramatic and calm wasn't painful and calm wasn't traumatic. Um, but it wasn't fulfilling. Um, you know, it wasn't fulfilling being in that relationship. And I'm really glad that he called it when he did, because A, I've got Poppy, my oldest child, who's absolutely amazing. Um, but I was able to kind of get out and break free and build a life, but but not before I experienced something that was pretty dark. Yeah. So this, I mean, this is comes with a bit of a trigger warning, but I feel mm. like we have to talk about it because listeners will appreciate and identify with, with this part of the story, which makes the positive side of the story to follow all the more aspirational. Mm. So in your own words, what happened next? So having had this sort of cookie cutter lifestyle, I've done what I thought I should have done. I got a job. I got a partner, had a baby, bought a house, which is a real significant thing for with, with certainly where I come from to have been able to purchase a house instead of like perpetually renting or getting a, or even getting a council house. They used to call, you know, the, the game, is it blackjack? We've got to get 21. Maybe it's I don't blackjack. know if it is, I'm, but I do know the game that you mean. Yeah, so yeah. you kind of got to add up to 21. The game, they call it around here Masonette because that's what you get Mason. when you're 21. You turn 21 and you get you get a Masonette, you get a council house. That's what, the, you know, that's the aspiration is you get a Masonette somewhere. And, um, for, you know, bought a house, a little house, and I thought I was doing things right. And then all of a sudden, through not really any fault of my own or, or indeed his, it just wasn't right. And he had the nuts to call it and say, I don't want this. And um, But that left me feeling really vulnerable. And I think that when you have somebody who has experienced trauma, feeling vulnerable, it's very easy for them to fall back into patterns that they know how to deal with. And for me, that was the drama. So there was this guy at the place that I was working who was very, very flattering. I had not experienced being pursued before. It was not something that I'd really encountered. And he really sort of vehemently pursued me. And I got into a relationship quite quickly with this guy. Uh, but very quickly, I found that um, he was a narcissist. I didn't have the words or the terminology for that at the time. But very quickly, that, that relationship turned toxic and eventually violent. We had to uh, obviously end the, the relationship and we needed the help of the courts in order to do that. But that left me on my own then with two kids under the age of three and holding on to my job for dear life because it was the only thing I knew how to do. But that found us in a position where I had to lose the house. So I ended up being homeless with two kids under, under the age of three, um, barely keeping hold of this job, using this job just to keep my kids in the stability of nursery because I didn't know what else to do because from a pride point of view, even though there is nothing wrong with being on benefits, I want to be really clear about that because um, safety nets are there for that reason, to catch people when they fall. But there was so much pride and shame that I was this clever person with this good job. I'd found myself in a position where she was experiencing domestic abuse. She was homeless and there was so much shame tied up in it and anxiety tied up in it that I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to ask for help. And mm. it's all the while I'm working. There's a particular moment that you share in your book as well about um, it being in the car. 
yeah. which was your kind of turning point moment where you know in terms of your mental um state right then mm. it could have taken a terrible turn yeah, it, it it really could. And I didn't mean to, I say I didn't mean to chuckle then. It, because when I describe it now, I describe it like a scene out of it, like a, an 80s B movie. So I'm having my moment and it's my rock bottom moment. And most, you know, inspirational stories have this. But I'm in the car and I've just tucked my kids into bed and my mum's minding the kids for me. So I'm sofa surfing at this point in time between friends and my sisters and my mum's with the kids. And also working out of London two days a week with my job because my family were trying to support me to keep my job. And I, I tucked the kids into bed and I'm sat in my car and it's raining outside and it's, you know, there, there must have been some sort of 80s power ballad playing <laughs> in the background. I'm crying, but I really didn't know, you know, jokes aside, I didn't know whether I was kissing my kids goodbye or goodnight. I didn't know that I could or was able to stay in any of my loved one's lives because it just, I felt like such a drain on them. I felt like such a burden. And I felt like life was just keep happening to me. It just kept, I was like, it's like a really poor version of the matrix, but I was not dodging any of the bullets. I was like, they weren't even grazing. I was getting, you know, shoulder shot after shoulder shot after chest shot after stomach shot of things that were happening. Yeah. And I was in that real, so I'm having a bit of a pity party for myself in this car. I don't know if I'm going to drive into the sunset or a lamppost, or I, but I didn't feel like I should be coming back. Well, I mean, I don't blame you for that. And I think there's a misconception as well that like homeless people, are, you know, they don't work. They might be on benefits, not be on benefits. They might, mm -hmm. you know, be on, on the streets, like asking people for money. And that is like not accurate at all. And, mm -hmm. and I say that because I've worked in a woman and children's shelter in, in the States and a lot of the women worked, but they just couldn't as single mums, they just couldn't keep on top of feeding the kids clothing the kids, paying all the bills, it's really, really tough. And again, something I think a lot of people will identify with in, in regards to your story. And then it would be really easy to be like, well, this is the life that I'm condemned to because yeah, it happens to so it. many people. So at that point, how did you go, no, actually, I'm not accepting this? It was like having a conversation with myself. I was actually, I was giving myself a talking to because the inner dialogue that I was having at that particular point in time was so poisonous and so venomous that eventually I, I was sat in the car and I'm still having a cry. I couldn't, couldn't bring myself even to turn the engine on to set off because I didn't have it within me. I was so tired. I was so exhausted from fighting. And I was like, Danny, is this it? Is, is this your lot? Are you not, is this over now for you? And I was like, well, no, it can't be. I was too petrified of dying in the first place. I could never have done that to my children. I already know what it's like to mop up from my own parents' trauma. Imagine if I'd have took that all the way to the next level and what they would have to deal with off of the back of me doing that. It felt like that felt like a monstrous act. Okay, so if that's the case, what am I going to do? Life's happening to you, Danny. And I had to decide either life was going to continue happening to me or I was going to happen to life. Every 
decision that I had made so far, and this isn't victim blaming, by the way, I want to be very, very clear about that. People find themselves experiencing DV for lots of different reasons and for lots of different, you know, in lots of different ways. And it's very hard to untangle yourself from and the shame that goes with that's really difficult. But every decision had brought me to that point. But then there was almost like a light switch went on because then I realized that every decision that I made from that point onwards, I was going to be able to take back control of. I was going to be able to take back control over whether I bankrupt or not. I was going to be able to take back control of, you know, asking for help, accessing Citizens Advice Bureau, accessing independent domestic abuse advisors, you know, understanding that there are services out there in Preston. I mean, thoroughly underfunded, by the way, but there's one in Preston called the Hope Centre that's now closed down because of the funding situation. Um, but I was able to access, luckily at the time, to help me start to access therapy to get through the shame to break through the shame to begin my journey on personal development learning about myself I was teaching a lot of things in corporate as well that I could have been applying to myself it was like the cobbler's shoes I'm going around fixing everybody else and <laughs> I've got rubbish shoes on. <laughs> I really liked you talking about being a cycle breaker this is kind of the the point you were getting at in terms of like you didn't want to do it to your children you wanted something more from your own life um so you were like okay this this ends with me which is a really powerful thought but again like I think when you have the kind of upbringing of like the sort of typical working class especially as northerners like and and, you know it's a generational thing as well and like I think sometimes people don't even know where to start or like how to like where where do you like get this help how do I articulate the kind of help that I you know I need like maybe I don't even know what support services are out there for whatever thing it is like it's it's really tough so like how do you start and I think that's what prevents a lot of people from yeah. escaping the situation because they don't know how to navigate it. How do you navigate something you don't have a compass for? You don't even know what the outcome is. Yeah. How do you set off a GPS? You know, how do you set off your Google Maps if you don't know where it is that you're going? Just not where you are it was kind of where I started. The first thing I needed to realize is what am I not doing? What am I not doing right now? How am I not showing up? What do I need to learn in order to get where it is that I want to go? Because where it was that I wanted to be was in a house that was mine. I wasn't bothered whether I bought it or rented it or I was given it or, you know, I fell over it and started squatting out. It didn't matter. I wanted somewhere that there was safe for me and my children. I wanted um, to be financially stable and secure. I wanted to be able to not have to get my food from food shelters because all of the money was just chewed up keeping the kids stable. Um, and keeping the kids, you know, I knew that at nursery, they'd be able to have the breakfast, the lunch and the dinner. I could pick them up at half past six. All I needed to do was cuddle them, put them to bed. And so I didn't really need to feed myself. I wasn't really bothered about me and where that was concerned. So I wanted us to be fed. I wanted us to be safe, secure, all of that sort of stuff. What am I not doing right now that's preventing that from happening? So for me, I, I talk about showing up, rising up and rising up. I do. I talk about this quite a lot. But the rising up for me in the situation was safety, security, place to live, stable finances, the first things I wanted to look at. And so I had to decide, what do I need to learn in order to get those things? What do I not know? Because if I knew what to do, I would have done it already. And then when I know what I need to know, how have I got to show up for that? 
Who do I have to show up for? Who have I been showing up for? Because in the past, I was showing up for external validation. I was showing up for my ex-partner. I wasn't showing up for myself. I wasn't learning how to put boundaries in place. I didn't have my non-negotiables in relationship. I didn't even know you could have them. I didn't know that was allowed. So I started to, to ask, first things first, ask for help. Closed mouths don't get fed. So the first person I go to is my mom and my sister. And I go, look, I know I'm in a really poor position right now. I don't know what to do. I don't know who to ask for help. Will you help me ask for help? I don't know how to do it. And they, and they started to be able to see instead of me, oh, Danny, why are you in this position again? Why are you making these choices? They realized that I was muddling through with the information that I had and nothing else, asking for just a stick to fight my way out of this war, please. So just a stick, that's all I need. Like I'll, I'll stick around if you can just give me a stick to fight with. And um, so my sister is really incredible. At, at, she's been working in social care for a long time, was able to say, okay, right, well, let's get your Citizens Advice Bureau appointment in the first instance let's see what's available to you do you need to be working in this place do we need to find alternative childcare? what do we need to do so as soon as I started to ask for help and I think that's the biggest barrier to moving forward is your ability to articulate what you need from anybody in your life but as soon as you start articulating it the more the paths start to open up so that's like with anything with mental health like asking for help if you find in that, you know, you, you go into the GP and you're asking for help and you're being put onto a wait list, what else is out there? What can we find? You know, we're in an age where Google and YouTube really are our friends where access to support is concerned. How do we become more tenacious mm. about finding these things if mm. the normal avenues don't apply to us? The normal avenues didn't apply to me. I wasn't able to go to a refuge. I was earning too much in inverted commas. I wasn't able to access benefits because I you you know, had, a, job. had yeah. a mortgage. It yeah. was really messy. It is. And it's making me think as well about often when people are in a in an unfortunate situation or a sticky situation, however you want to phrase it, you, you want a quick fix, don't you? I think about like um, if it's financial, which it usually is. I mean, the people that can be knocking on doors in regards to council tax is very aggressive. I've seen the letters. It's like, you know, this is going to happen if you don't pay us X amount. And it mm. they don't even look at what a person's income is and, and maybe the fact that they're like struggling to keep their head above the water. And so I think of so many circumstances where there's that desperation and it's just to kind of pay the initial bills that are otherwise my car's going to get possessed or, you know, all of that. But then actually a few months later, you're going to be right back in the same thing with maybe just a high interest loan to, to that's covered you. So I think that like something that you did and and maybe you encourage people in your business to do is is to zoom out and and look more long term in terms of like career choice um you know finances and where the money's going and whatnot yeah absolutely and that was not something that i'd ever considered before my my financial health so one of the things that i had to learn if we're talking about showing up and wising up and rising up and all of that one of the things that i had to learn was how do i take my financial temperature i had to stop putting my hands over my eyes and refusing to look because i was scared and actually as soon as i started to do that the information became powerful the information then became a tool for me to start taking steps forward so 
allowing myself to be medicated for my anxiety, for example, um, it was one of those things that I was so I was so hypervigilant that my body was and my brain wasn't allowing me to make good choices because I was in hypervigilance. I was in fight or flight. So being, you know, allowing myself to uh, access healthcare and medication so that I could calm that physical stuff down so that I could make sense of the situation. That was one of the things, my financial health, understanding what my credit score was and okay, my credit score was absolutely through the floor. I've never seen a credit score as low. If it could have been a zero, it would have been a zero. Um, And I just had the house repossessed. So I knew then that it was going to take 10 years for me to build my finances back up. So I needed to, yeah, 10 years feels like a long time for sure. But then that, that was fueling my fire. I can actually get back on my feet within 10 years. 10 years at that particular point in time was going to land me at what? 37, 38, the age I am now, where last year I've been able to build so that I could buy the house I really wanted. So for 10 years, we had to stay in a house that was, you know, not really fit for purpose for me and my family. And it was relatively dangerous. We was having our you know, windows put through and our tires slashed. And I wouldn't recommend living like that. But it was the driver for everything that I did between then and now. What got me out of bed in the morning was to make myself so successful that I was safe and secure and then in a position to be able to help other people in a similar position. And that became my reason, Tetra. That that became the reason why I got out of bed in the morning. So then, how did you find the career that you're on right now? So you 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 know you you're asking yourself all these questions. You're looking at how you, your finances, how, the ten year plan with the house. It's like, well, how do I earn the money that I need to to fulfil these goals? So it's going back to that that showing up, rising up and rising up. So the next bit was, okay, so what does rising up look like now? So rising up for me looked like getting out of corporate. I, I, I found that, and one of the reasons why I do what I do within the Flying Away Foundation, which is a foundation that I've created to help people that have experienced domestic abuse thrive again. One of, one of the things that I found that being in employment was really triggering for me, that they kind of are being watched and being managed and all of that sort of stuff. I really rebelled against it. So because it's, I, I told you, we're kindreds. Yeah. And it, it, it makes, takes makes you feel like you, you're a wrong and you can't do the yeah, work. You yeah. can do the work. You're a capable, intelligent person, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The kind of permission to take your lunch break was... Yeah, no, just, thank you. <laughs> No, thank you. Like, I want to go to the toilet when I want to go to the toilet. Thank you very much. And also, it was in the rise of the contact centre. So it's contact centre, the new age factories now, where you're, you know, your very minutes are, you know, deducted or or accounted for, how long you're away from the phone, how long you're active. It just felt really triggering for me. Mm. And I didn't know that it was triggering. All I knew that it was making me behave in a way that I wasn't very proud of in the workplace. So, you know, I'd turn up and do as little as possible to get paid as much as possible. Right, and I was like, I was crying in my kitchen one night, Gabby, and my husband, because I I met my my partner afterwards, and you know he's a lovely guy, Mark, and he's just he's ace. We work together really closely now, and he's so patient. He put up, he puts up with Hurricane Danny beautifully, um, and he was like, "Why are you crying, babe?" And I was like, "The only place I sing now is in the kitchen." The only place I have any joy is when I'm doing the washing up. I don't even like washing up. I just like singing whilst I'm washing up. And it was like, well, darling, why don't you go singing? Sing. Let's let's make it so that you can be employed by yourself 
people will pay you. You're good. You have a talent in this field. It's not like it's, it's misplaced or remiss of you to be able to go and do this. Why don't we build it so that you can? I'll look after the kids in the evening and and that's what I did. So oh, the first what thing a great I did partner. is he's oh, he's an absolute belter. I'm very lucky. I kind of put him out to the universe in that moment. I was like, right, my standards are this now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I started working for myself very quickly, found that everything that I'd learned to the corporate field, because I was I was lucky, I was working in the HR facility, and marketing facility, training facilities, in some brilliant global corporate brands. So I saw from the inside of the big dogs mm. what they were doing to market themselves. So when I came started to work for myself as a singer, I'm going to business networking meetings. No other singers like on the circuit round here were doing that. I'm turning up in my costume and my speaker <laughs> and I'm plugging in and I'm doing my 60 seconds, I'm singing to them. You know, I'm making sure that my diary is booked. I'm showing up I knew what I needed to do to market myself that was the easy bit I just needed to turn up and, and actually that was the, do it yeah like mm. allow myself to to show up in a way that is instantly recognizable so as you and I are recording this now and you was like oh I really love the bright colors and mm -hmm. it's instantly recognizable my audience recognize my studio so to speak it's being instantly recognizable was really important to me so built that and then realized that I had some downtime in the week. So, you know, being a, you know, being a DJ and what have you, working yep. in the in entertainment industry, there is time in the week where people don't go to parties. Abs <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Especially in a pandemic. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. So I had all this time in the week and a, and a huge skill set of, of business development that was at my disposal that I wasn't using. So I started in my own tin pot way to build a community i didn't know what for i was just kind of sharing it it was in the time when you could go live in the first sort of throes of live streaming on facebook so i used to go live before a gig to keep myself safe stop myself from getting carjacked or mugged i'd lock my doors and make sure that i was going live putting my makeup on talking to people who started to turn up before every gig for me to put my makeup on and talk to them about personal development and the scrapes i was getting into and that then developed into a small business community the the hive the iatqb hive um, and then that uh, really grew into the public speaking business that I've got today. People were asking me, how do you go live, Danny? What do you, how do you talk about what it is that you do? And so I started to put together the packages that I knew worked, the ways that I knew worked to take up space, to speak about your mission and your business that particularly women don't get encouraged to do. And I want to make sure we get this in because we're releasing it on International Women's Day. There was a trip that you took to Malta where mm -hmm. you were with 12 other really inspiring women and I just really loved that chapter in your book in terms of like I felt the camaraderie I felt they were rooting for you and I'd love yeah. you just to like you know share a little bit about because again I'm just I'm trying to come at it from somebody that is listening and just is thinking about this is my fate and you, you've talked before about like self-sabotage as well and it's mm -hmm. almost like it's like easier to believe that yeah. this is the life that I've been born into um, I'm never going to be somebody with money you have absolutely proven that it doesn't need to be the case but you've got to do the work Right, absolutely. And one of the things that I decided to do is I was going to say yes to every opportunity that came my way that made me feel really uncomfortable. <laughs> is one So going to the networking meetings, showing up in that way, uh, allowing myself to go to events on my own um, 
and always having sort of an idea in my mind with regards to what I wanted to get from that experience. So what do I want to learn here? I want to find people that are kind and nice in business that are going to link arms with me. Bees do this incredible thing when they're building something new, Gabby. It's called festooning. They actually lace arms. They link arms and they show the other bees where to build. And I found myself in this position where um, there's this phenomenal uh, business coach, business strategist. Uh, you can find her on the internet. She's called Lisa Johnson. She's wonderful. And I sort of stumbled across her on the internet. One of the things that I do is I like to surround myself with the people that I aspire to be like. Mm. There's this famous quote from Jim Rohn who talks, who talks about, you know, you are the, the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And if I look at who I used to spend the majority of my time with, no wonder I wasn't behaving in an aspirational inspirational way nobody was they were all right. struggling they all didn't have enough money what is it your network is your net worth was yeah. that what you were talking about on one of your podcasts yes absolutely <laughs> your network is your net worth who you spend your time and that's not just from a financial point of view let's be no. really clear it's not just about money and bottom line it's not even as uncouth as that but it's from a happiness point of view mm -hmm. if you are surrounded if you're a tigger surrounded by eos it's very difficult to remain a tigger right, right? and so <laughs> so your girl's a tigger and I need to find some other tiggers to bounce off the walls with. yeah 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 and, yeah uh, <laughs> too right so Lisa, at the time, uh, she was growing her business. She's this. She works in the field of uh, passive and semi-passive income, which I had never come across before. I didn't know really how to make money, actual proper, proper money. I knew how to get a gig. I knew how to exchange money for time. I knew how to do that. But I didn't know how to create business models that really worked and anything that was outside of the realms of trading goods and services, I didn't get. And I'd started to learn from Lisa and she'd put out a status on Facebook. <laughs> she would never do this now, by the way. It's, it's insane um, like how much she's grown. But she put out a status saying, I've got some air miles that I need to get. I'm going to head over to Malta for a few days because she's originally from, my family's originally from Malta. I'm going to go and hang there for a couple of, anybody want to come? And I thought, I do. I want to go to Malta. I could go to Malta. This is she who's not been on an abroad holiday for the longest time. And like we go on the caravan holidays to the Haven, which is like, well, me and the kids love it. And um, so with I had 300 pounds in my bank. I had no idea where any more money was coming from outside of, you know, bill, like bill money and gigs and things like that. And I was sort of Googling. I thought, right, if the flight is cheap enough, then I'm going to go to Malta. And the flight was £69 return. Sign. So I was like, yeah, well, yeah, I can afford. Okay, so I can afford a flight to Malta. If I can afford to share with somebody over there, that's going to make the hotel really cheap. And I'll worry about eating when I get there. It'll be fine. I can get some crisps. It's okay. It's relatively cheap. I can, you know, I don't have to eat extravagantly. So I went, I went over there in a complete state of imposter. Like, who is yeah, she? Who is right. Danny Wallace rocking up? <laughs> and these and these women are, you know, multiple six, seven figure earners who knew who I was. I was kind of making waves with the hide. They could see who's this Danny Wallace girl. Who's this girl calling herself the Queen Bee? Who's she all about? <laughs> and um they were all sat around this table and the sun's setting and they're all like drinking the Pinot Grigio and I'm sat there nursing my water because I was frightened to get involved in buying rounds because there's no way that right. I could have afforded that. Yeah. So I'm drinking my water. And they, they poured me a glass of wine and they're all going around the table and they're going, oh, what's your plans next? What you've got coming up? What you launching? And they're all telling me about these 
six-figure launches that they're doing and they're making all this money and I'm like oh and they got to me and I was like please don't get to me please don't get to me please don't get to me because I haven't got a fucking clue what I'm going to do with my life I don't know why I'm here (laughs) and um what I mean essentially what happened then was magic Lisa on the back of a napkin (laughs) plotted out she was like Danny can you teach something I was like hell yeah I can teach like business skills I can specifically public speaking and she was like right okay and she mapped out a launch for me on the back of a napkin. I think my friend still got recorded somewhere. She's like, you need to record this. This is absolute gold. Like she charges like thousands of thousands of thousands of pounds for this. So she's just helping me. Yeah. So, you know, I, and I didn't really turn up in a, in a state of supplication. I wasn't like, oh, you know, I need help. I was there and I was giving my my advice and my two pence worth and you know what I thought mm. um for, for these other these other women then I realized they were just women mm. they were they they were just at their chapter nine and I was at my chapter one and so when it got to me it was like they all stood to attention as soon as I said I didn't know and I filled up there was like right they all sprung to action they was like right well we can help with this and we can help with this and they orchestrated for me and with me in that moment over the course of eight ten minutes a launch that went on to make me my first five plus figure launch we ended up making sixteen thousand pounds um and then i realized oh we can make money actual money that makes a difference to our lives and that's when things really started to take off wow i love it and this is like i mean amazing and and you've paid that forward tenfold not just with your clients with the charity you've set up so so let's talk a little bit more about what exactly you do and how you help people so there's the i call it my proper job even though it's i'm still yet to get a proper job gabby i'm, I'm working in the <laughs> online space same, same. yeah <laughs> um so I'm, I'm a public speaking coach and I ATQB, I am the queen bee is a reclamation statement. It's the name of my business. And actually that is a reclamation statement that I want to give to anybody listening out there. I am the queen bee is you saying and reclaiming that it is your birthright to success, wealth, health, happiness, good friendships, good sex, all the good things in life. It's your birthright. I was really annoyed that the queen was born the queen. Now, with regards to um, public speaking, that's great. That's a, you know, a sellable commodity and that was fine. And that's what's created us this stability and security as a family. But I was like, there's, there's more to this. I want to create a community that gives back, not just to the world, but to each other as well, that we all link arms, that we festoon. So I wanted to, in the first instance, I created the Hive, where we all we do is share our successes and share our challenges. This has gone really well. I'm struggling with this. So we cheerlead each other on through the good times. And we also have the hands at each other's back during the difficult times. There's always somebody in the hive that's willing to help. There's always somebody who knows somebody. The power of the hive is really strong. But the Fly Anyway Foundation is a real heart project. Both my sister and I, um, we obviously, as, as I shared with you earlier, both of us experienced that abusive relationship as our as our sort of role model relationships as we were growing up and we vowed to each other when we were like 15 16 that if we were ever to be able to give back much in the same way my husband is his mum wants to open a dog kennels and she's since we met she's wanted to open a dog is she going to open a dog kennels probably not right and it felt like that kind of dream it felt like it was we were going to do this thing one day and we were going to be able to give back and as soon as I realized that I had done what I thought I'd set out to do, which was become so successful that I was able to add philanthropy into my business model. Mm. I could then really start to map out what was that going to look like? Like we wanted to help 
particularly survivors of domestic abuse. That's one in four women, one in six men, and one in nine parents. So child to parent domestic abuse, for example, parent to child domestic, there's lots of different, that's, that's just three statistics. Yeah. So we wanted to create something eventually that was going to help. And it was a couple of years ago where I realized, oh, we can make this happen. There's this quote from the bee movie that aerodynamically bees shouldn't be able to fly. Their little wings shouldn't get their fat bodies off the ground. That the bee doesn't care what humans think is impossible. The bee flies anyway. And I clutched my pearls, Gabby. I was like, <laughs> this is it. I want to help people fly anyway. That's what I've done. I've flown anyway. Too right. I like bees and they do all these cool things. And I think it will work. I think we'll call it the Fly Anyway Foundation. That's what we're going to build. And We've talked about it and we've done a soft launch and we've been piloting now for 12 months. And now the Flying Away Foundation is a mutual business community in, in its first phase. So eventually we will. So in the first instance, it's a business community uh, whereby we help people who have experienced domestic abuse. I'm careful not to say survivors or victims, because I think if we if we associate ourselves with being survivors or victims, we take ourselves back there every time we say it. So people who've experienced domestic abuse, help them, if they've got a business idea, if they find employability so far outside of their comfort zone now that they want to learn how to work for themselves, that we're going to help them do that. We've got a community of fantastic people who have volunteered their goods and services, web designers, brand builders, um, virtual assistants, solicitors, all sorts of people have volunteered their goods and services. And if somebody comes to us with a business idea, we can create a plan for them so that they can build their business. And then when they're ready to sell that business on, we keep a 10% equity in that business. They feed it back into the foundation to help the next people. So that's the first stage. And the next stage is employability. So for people that, you know, not everybody wants to run a business. It's hard. It's really difficult. But also there are barriers, barriers to entry for employability. So if you, English is a second language, for example, mm. and lots of people who experience domestic mm. abuse have English as a second language, what are the barriers to entry? So working with proper practitioners who know what they're doing to help people into work. So working with the DWP to do that, so that's stage two. Then post-crisis support. So once you're out of crisis, how, once you've survived, what then? That was the biggest question I had. Yeah. The biggest mental health thing for me was, who am I now? I've, I'm off the roller coaster. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then the next phase after that is crisis support and opening refuges. And we've just got the backing of some phenomenal companies who are going to see us through that plan. Wow. Uh, so the Flying Away Foundation just this week has um, launched our ambassador campaign. We now have 120 ambassadors. And in the next four weeks, so we're recording this in March into 2022. Uh, and we're just about to welcome in our first raft of business builders after a pilot scheme i mean talk about inspirational this is why we wanted you for the international women's day episode danny because bloody hell (laughs) what a life i've just realized i need to circle back really quickly about the advice that will i am gave you because it is applicable oh that was a name drop You have to share the advice that Will gave you because I just thought it was brilliant. And um, in in that particular instance, it was in regards to singing, but I think you could actually apply it to all sorts of things. 
Right, because we were talking about reality. The only way to make it was on reality TV, yeah, right? And, yeah. And I was, and I was stuck with that concept. I was like auditioning year after year. Britain's Got Talent, X Factor, pop stars when pop stars was a thing, and indeed the Voice. And I uh, eventually was able. I had secured. I was scouted uh, for an audition with the Voice, and I was. Um, we went down to London and did rehearsing with the BBC band and all of that sort of stuff, and filming up in Salford, and I was singing for the coaches. And at the time, it was Ricky Wilson, Rita Ora, uh, Will I Am, and of course, the legendary Tom Jones. And um, I'd sung my songs on the last day of filming. I think I was like nearly the last person in the lineup. And I sang my song and I got to the end of my song. And this is my moment, you know, the time that it's going gonna, it's gonna to make me this. It's, it, all paths have led me here. I'm singing for, you know, for the reality TV show that I really want to do and all of all this. And uh, nobody turned around, <laughs> which was... Uh, like a real sucker punch. I was like, oh no, I've blown it. That's not what was meant to happen. Somebody, preferably Will or Tom, was going to turn around for me and they didn't. They didn't because they couldn't. So Ricky turned around and he said, you know what? I didn't really like the song. You, you can sing, you're, you know, you're great, but I wasn't feeling it. I don't, I don't really have any spaces left anyway. I was like, okay, cool. Rita was like, yeah, you sound a little bit older than the kind of person that I would work with. And I don't really know what I'd do with you. I was like, mm, okay, fair enough. Tom Jones was like, I got no criticism for your love like this. <laughs> he just they filled up all these spots. Otherwise, he'd have turned around. Um, that was a really terrible uh, <laughs> impression of him, by the way. I apologize. And Will I am turned around and he went, Look, I can't turn around today. Um, I'm I'm done. I'm I'm full. He said, why are you crying? And I'm stoically crying. Like my eyes are just leaking tears down my little face, bless me. Because that was my chance blown. I was never going to get another shot at this once in a lifetime. And he was like, well, there's seven and a half billion people in the world, Daniela. Why are you, Sunday name, why are you, why are you crying? And I said, because I've blown it. Well, I, I, you know, this was my shot. And he was like, but you can sing. Nobody's here. Nobody here is telling you that you can't sing, that you don't have a gift. And who are you with this gift, if not here to give it? And just because four people have said no, you cannot decide that seven and a half billion people are going to go without this gift now. Like, who are you with this gift not to give it? When we have gifts, we are destined to give them. That's the point. That's why we're here. We're given these gifts for a reason. And mm -hmm. your gift might be kindness. Your gift might be maths. Your gift might be, you know, ability to help people out with the finances. You might be a dead good driver. Mm -hmm. You might be a proper good mum. You might, whatever it is, whatever gift it is that you've got, who are you not to give it? And I share this with my business owners all the time, that you have got something that's going to help somebody out there. Who are you not to tell people about mm -hmm. it? Who are you not to toot your horn? about it and that stayed with me today like even to today and like I say yes to podcasts like this when I get a, even at now I get a little bit oh Gabby Sanderson wants me on a podcast <laughs> I'm that excited um but then I think you know who am I not to say yes absolutely say yes absolutely make time in your schedule Dan to come and speak to Gabby because hopefully someone's going to hear this oh they absolutely are and and be completely inspired it made me think about like especially when you're putting all your eggs in the basket in terms of going for a job. And if it's a job you really, really want, and oh my God, it's like so much more money than I'm currently on and it's changed my life and everything. When you get the no, then 
you know, again, I think those words from Will are like, well, it's not going to be the, it's not the only job. And it, this is just like one opportunity. And a lot of times these jobs that are posted and advertised for, they're already, you know, they've got somebody in mind. They're already in the bag for someone. Yeah. So easy to react like you did and be like, oh, this is, it's never going to happen and everything. And, and um, yeah, that's why I needed to make sure we got Will. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have it's a good story. You like, I, like, I definitely, like, it's definitely like a money shot for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Story. As we're, we're wrapping up this incredible conversation, and thank you. Like, to anybody listening that's still sort of, because it is the easy thing to be like, well, that couldn't happen to me. Right. What do you say to that person that's like, you know, I've I've got no money, I've got nobody I could ask for money, I'm just, I'm barely keeping my head above the water, that kind of thing that's happened to you, Danny, wouldn't, I wouldn't even know where to start kind of thing. What do you say to that person? So understand if you're in that position that all actions, so everything that happens from your next decision is in your hands. And that sounds glib coming from somebody who's now the business has turned over half a million pounds a year and living in my dream house, all of the trappings that come with having a successful business. But I've been in that car where I didn't have a house, I didn't have any possessions, I didn't know where I was next feeding my kids. And I've been in that position whereby I didn't know where the money was coming from, but I did know that I could ask for help. And the phrase that I live my life by, apart from show up, wise up, rise up, is closed mouths don't get fed surround yourself with the people that you aspire to be like if you look to the left and the right of you and the people that you are spending your time with are negative are um are in struggle that thrive from the drama and the roller coaster of toxicity then i implore you to seek out and they are everywhere seek out communities of strong people who are going to hold you up and be the hands at your back they are out there join the iatqb hive for example find out more about the fly anyway foundation even even from a befriending point of view you don't have to have experienced domestic abuse to to get involved in this kind of community giving back when you start to surround yourself with people like that you start to see what's possible and i think that that's the key open yourself up to things being possible if it's possible for somebody like me and i'm not very clever gabby like it's not like i'm not the sharpest uh, knife in I the think drawer you're just being humble there <laughs> But I'm, but I'm not different. I'm not special. I'm, I just decided. Then the only thing special about me is that I, I'm very patient. I know that there aren't any quick wins, and as such, then I've got to dig in and make the thing happen that I want. No, the cavalry isn't coming. And if I realize, you know, you realize the cavalry isn't coming, you are the cavalry. Mm. Suddenly, you become Budicea going into battle. Oh, I love that. I won't keep you any longer because I do appreciate you're a busy lady. But thank you very much for today. I am so grateful. I am so grateful that you've had me on the show, Gabby, on your podcast. I mean, you're literally down the road. If you, yeah. When you do come home, give us a shout. We'll have to go for a brew. Oh, do you know what? I'd love that. I really would. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. What a freaking inspiration you are. Loving the work. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I can't wait to speak to you again. Thank you. 
Oh, thanks again, Danny. You know I'm going to be popping round for that brew as soon as I can. I feel like I made a new friend there. Isn't she great? And if you want to learn more about Danny or get in touch with Danny, her website is I am the Queen Bee co.uk she's also the queen bee danny spelt d-a-n-i on instagram she's got a podcast called the show up wise up rise up show and some great reads in the form of i'm the queen bee how i overcame self-sabotage to hashtag fly anyway and how you can too which is the book i read which is truly fabulous and she's also got closed mouths don't get fed which you've heard her champion how to use your voice to get more clients earn more money and get positioned as the expert in your field also highly highly recommend checking that out and that my friends concludes another episode of the my possible self podcast thank you so much for tuning in if you haven't got the my possible self app we are still completely free to download we're of course backed by the nhs and use only clinically certified contents to help you manage your own uh, mental health journey we're at my possible self on instagram and twitter and i've been at radio gabby until the next one bye for now and do take care (laughs) 